Welcome to Totally Sort Of, the podcast. It's sort of like a review show and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Chris. And I'm Darren. We'll let you know what you totally need to check out and what is sort of worth skipping. So what's new with you this week? So outside of the many things we talk about in this podcast, music is really a huge interest of mine. I see a lot of live shows and I happen to also have quite a few friends who are extremely musically talented of whom I am perpetually jealous. <laughs> so this week I saw one of my friend's bands play. Their band is called Dixon Bonfield. Okay. They play, I think they describe themselves as a mix of Americana, folk, instrumental music, and classic rock. That sounds like something you would dig. They do a mixture of cover songs by groups like the band Neil Young, Bob Dylan, The Grateful Dead, and their own music. And since I first started seeing them, it's sort of the balance has changed. They've been doing more and more original music, and I really, really enjoy their original stuff. They played at a bar in Toronto called the Junction City Music Hall, which I also find a, is quite a cool little place. It's sort of a basement dive bar, but it holds probably a hundred people. It has a really nice stage and a decent sound system. Cool. So yeah, I've seen them a couple of times. I've grown to quite like many of their covers that they do. They do an incredible version of Blitz and Trappers, the Black River Killer, along with an assortment of other covers. And this uh, week they promote a new original song called High Life, which was absolutely fantastic. It was the highlight of the night. Right on. So do you, uh, do you get their stuff online? Are they on like Bandcamp or that kind of thing? No, they're talking about getting some stuff recorded this summer. There's a couple of YouTube videos, and I'll post a few links in the show notes to their stuff. But unfortunately, nothing recorded that I can point people to at this point. But I will keep you posted. July, I think they're talking about getting into a studio and actually getting some of their originals down. And I will definitely come back with that when that happens. That's cool. How about yourself? Anything going on this week? Well, this week I was kind of enjoying watching the uh, storm around the return of Roseanne to the airwaves. Well, or cable waves or whatever kind of waves. Yes, because unsurprisingly Roseanne couldn't leave well enough alone and just uh, ride some success for a while. Yeah, it's it's really neat because like, um, it kind of caught me off guard that she was coming back and uh, was like, okay, cool, check it out. And did catch the premiere almost right away when it came on, um, maybe the next day on PVR, and uh, really enjoyed it. I uh, it was an old show, an old sitcom that I really liked, and wow, they just found their groove, and it was like the show at its peak. So enjoyed that for a day or so, and then started reading about it that almost the very next day, and it was just kind of a real shitstorm. Yeah, I wondered how long that would take to happen because I think a couple of months ago when the show was still bubbling towards uh, its release, there was a just seemingly random article in which uh, Roseanne Barr had confirmed that the Connors would be Trump supporters in the show because that's just who they were. Yeah, I hadn't heard any of that. And uh, originally I kind of thought 
maybe this was just her character, but it turns out it's really pretty much her as well. And and uh, this week she was, you know, retweeting some of the weirdest conspiracy theories of the alt-right and like really, really out there stuff. And so, of course, people dug up the, the worst picture of her they could find, which was a picture of her in Nazi regalia baking... Uh, Jew cookies. Now this this photo admittedly is from 2009 and from a Jewish satire magazine. So there's a little bit of excuse, uh but pretty bad skeleton to pull out of the closet uh when you're in this day and age anyways. But the thing that I thought was kind of neat about this was the piece that really got me thinking was an article in the New York Times written by Roxane Gay, and um, you had mentioned her a couple weeks ago in terms of potentially being a writer for, is it Black Panther? Batgirl. Batgirl. Um, and I'm not, no, I'm not giving you an excuse to talk about Black Panther again, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a really good piece in uh, New York Times uh, just kind of saying, you know what, it's nice to see that she's back, nice to see they can still do this, but I don't want to support somebody who's normalizing all the kind of crap that Trump is spouting, and uh, I kind of agree with her. So I I enjoyed the premiere, but I'm probably not going to be following it beyond that. Yeah, I didn't catch the premiere this week. I had intended to, but I did see the stuff online, and I don't know if that played any role in me not going and intentionally hiding it out, because I probably still will watch it at some point, but it certainly dulled my enthusiasm a bit so shall we get into our week in geek absolutely so what'd you see in the theaters this week i went and saw ready player one cool i read the book but have not seen the movie how was it i really liked the movie i don't know that i loved it but it was a lot of fun it gives you uh, an example of why Steven Spielberg is sort of considered the master at the action-adventure movie genre. He uh, certainly put a movie together that's a whole lot of fun to watch. It's uh, some really nice eye candy throughout. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard this description uh, back when Stranger Things first came out, so I won't take credit for it, but I heard someone refer to stranger things as weaponized nostalgia <laughs> and this ready player one certainly has that aspect to it as well which is i think a good and a bad thing it's nice to see all of these things that we loved coming uh around and being sort of glorified i mean the the movie is a homage to pop culture and 80s pop culture in specific yeah but it does kind of feel a little bit like they packed a cannon full of all these things you love and then just <laughs> blasted you with it. And and it does feel like you're kind of being used a little bit because they they just picked these things that are designed to make you love it. Right. I haven't seen the movie, but the, the book really kind of delves into that. And it's almost, um, they've turned, you know, 80s pop culture into a scholarship, a form of scholarship or a quest. And there's definitely a bunch of kind of elitism in the book about, oh, well, they barely know anything about, you know, this D&D module from 1984, so they're not that cool. Like, the kind of, um, just the elitism and the sort of veneration of 
pop culture of one particular era is it's it's very uh reaffirming and kind of cool as somebody who lived through that that era but i don't know it's there's something a little bit creepy about it too yeah the movie itself i mean it was legitimately funny throughout i mean i laughed out loud more often than i have at several sort of straight out comedies that i've Hmm. seen in the last little while it was legitimately funny throughout the pop culture references never stop i had some few issues just with the the villain character is really just a caricature yeah you know he's kind of like the uh, elitist smug just sort of one-dimensional right which was not fantastic uh, I found that you, you've really got two stories going on in this film. There's what's going on in the Oasis, the virtual world, and what's going on in the real world. And they never really flesh out what's going on in the real world and its background in history. So that there's a problem with then integrating the two stories and that you never really care that much about the real world story. And so some of it, it's like, eh, just get me back to that funky looking virtual reality stuff. Which is probably what all those poor people who aren't in the Oasis are thinking, too. And I also thought, I, I thought it a bit while I was watching it, but when I explained the plot to my wife about them trying to save the Oasis so that they could preserve it in its pure form, uh, her comment was, was nobody trying to take control of the Oasis to shut it down and force people to, to just go outside and do stuff? <laughs> So it kind of is lacking in any commentary of whether it's a good thing that people spend their entire lives and all of their real life money and and all of their real life energy on the Oasis. But it really doesn't get into this idea of, is it actually a good thing that people spend almost all of their life in the Oasis and that all of their real world worth is tied up in what they own in this virtual world? Right. Hmm. Touching on a couple of the references may be considered spoilery, but I'm not going to go too deep into it. One I wanted to talk about was uh, something that we'd mentioned that isn't actually in the book, that there's a whole homage to the the movie The Shining, Kubrick's uh, Stephen oh, yeah? King, The Shining. And it was absolutely fantastic. It's uh, one of the three quests, so it's not. I'm not giving away an Easter egg. It's right out there on Front Street for this thing. Yeah, and so it's it's almost like a third of the movie, right? Because we're talking about essentially three quests throughout the film, and it was it was just fantastic. I was laughing. I was like feeling, uh, oh my god, they're gonna go there next. They're gonna go there next, and then they do. Right. And I've been to the Stanley Hotel which is the hotel that Stephen King modeled the Overlook Hotel on. That's right. uh, Stanley Hotel is in Estes State Park in Colorado. So I've actually been to sort of the physical location. So to see it again on the screen reproduced was just a whole ton of fun. That's cool. It's really funny hearing you talk about it because the little bits that I've heard about the movie are actually making me feel like that little bit elitist because I think they've dumbed down the pop culture references from the book to the movie which doesn't surprise me at all but i'm really interested now to see how they've kind of simplified the obscure references to more mainstream references for a movie audience so and and there's one more reference that i want to talk about this is specific for you and it's again it's something that you're not going to miss 
but that many people will miss what the reference is. There's an Excalibur reference oh, in nice. this movie that when you see it, you will lose your shit. Like, <laughs> I, I was, when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, Chris is going to love this. I, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's not something that you're going to miss. But it is something that if you haven't watched Excalibur, well, you've probably seen it a hundred times more than I have. <laughs> but as many times as we have, you wouldn't know that it's an Excalibur reference, okay. but it is so in your face when you when it happens if you do know the movie you're gonna love it excellent that's uh that makes me want to see it right there and also (laughs) it reminds me that we're gonna have to do some sort of in-depth feature or excuse to pour over the details of uh the john borman film excalibur at some point in the future i'll uh i'll swing you a uh, take-home top three at some point that lets you just talk about excalibur for Sure. Of an episode. Sure. We could do an extended episode. <laughs> How about you? Anything you were watching this week? Uh, this week it was all about AMC and uh, sitting through commercials for more AMC because we were actually watching some stuff live, which included a little bit of Walking Dead, which surprisingly is showing glimmers of interesting stuff amongst the overall crappiness, but there are Doing a few little interesting things here and there. It's funny that since we did the episode a little while ago where I talked about all of the Walking Dead episodes piled up on my PVR, of which there are now 40. I saw it today as I was passing. I've seen nothing but articles referring to this as like the worst season ever and referring to this as the death knell of the show. I I don't want to make this about The Walking Dead, but there are car chases in this one like hand-to-hand fighting in cars and and anyways let's let's get off walking dead it's 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 not a great show anymore but uh i've still been keeping up with it largely because jen is keeping up with it that's my excuse and i'm sticking to it and um also intrigued uh, i just have to throw this out there the trailer for into the badlands new new season that was an amc show that i watched like one or two episodes of and really it didn't grab me it thought it was a cool concept but uh poorly executed but it's it looks to be getting visually more and more interesting and i'm curious if that's any good i don't know have you seen that show at all yeah i've watched all of both seasons do you think it's been improving or i don't know i have a love-hate relationship with it in that i can't seem to stop watching it but i never watch one and think oh my god that was amazing but i also never watch one and think it was terrible but all right well maybe we'll table that and i'll i'll catch a couple episodes and we'll come back to it at some point because uh, right. the reason i've been watching amc is uh for the terror do you know anything about this show and i know nothing about the terror so it's based on uh, dan simmons novel uh, Dan Simmons, the horror author. The book originally came out in 2007, and this show was announced by AMC as an anthology series, uh, which I don't think it actually is. I think that was just sort of early rumors. Uh, but basically, this series, it's a 10-episode series. I'm assuming it's a one-off, but it's based on the 1847 Franklin expedition to find the Northwest Passage. So that's the the ill-fated expedition where uh, two ships were frozen in the ice, the men were trapped, resorted to cannibalism, or at least were purported to uh, resort to cannibalism. 
And uh, so it's all based on a true story. It's kind of a rich story to mine for content, but it probably has been done numerous times. Well, I imagine it has. I really didn't know much about it going into it. And um, the cool thing, a couple of cool things about the show. One is that it, it stars a couple of characters or a couple of actors that I recognized as both having been in the HBO series Rome. So it's got Kieran Hines and Tobias Menzies. So uh, that was Caesar and Brutus from HBO's Rome. Love that show. Yeah, I love that show too. And uh, seeing the two of them together made me remember that show. And when I looked up their names on IMDb, I found out that they were also both in Game of Thrones. So obviously these odd-looking men are good at getting roles in uh, period pieces. Anyways, back to the terror. So the awesomeness about the terror is that you get the authenticity of your historical story uh, and really nicely done period costumes and dialect and everything. And that kind of creeping horror of, oh my God, this actually happened. How could anybody live through these terrible conditions? The men are, you know, cramped in these ships eating garbage rations and with terrible cold and everything. So you have that kind of foreboding and dread and and empathy of knowing that this kind of thing really happened and then they layer some supernatural horror on top of that oh it's looking really good we're three episodes in we've got a little bit of uh mysticism and visions going on we've got some sort of maybe a monster or something stalking them really cool story nice i do like those sort of historical fictional rewrites where they take things that have actually happened and then write a alternative narrative over top of it yeah it works so well because i mean i think even without layer the layer on top of it this could be a really creepy horrific story and it's it's got that kind of you know when historical fiction does authenticity almost to the point of being uh impenetrable so they've got the accents and the 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 language and the formality of, you know, British naval officers in 1847. Sometimes you're not even quite sure you know what they're talking about, but it sounds realistic. <laughs> Are you using subtitles? They're not quite into subtitle territory, but I think some people could definitely use them. Anyways, uh, I would totally recommend checking this out. I'm sure it will move to Netflix or somewhere once it's done, but uh, it looks to be a, a really good ride so far. You'll have to let us know if it pays off at the end of 10. Will do. Okay, what have you been watching? I watched the first two episodes of Krypton. Uh-oh. And? Initially, I had no interest in the show whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Because you're asking me to watch a show about Superman's background on a planet where nobody has superpowers. <laughs> And you're talking hundreds of years before Superman, so Superman's not going to show up. And if mm -hmm. Superman does show up by some means, he's not going to have any superpowers. <laughs> and why do I care? Because I know at the end of the day, this planet's blowing up and all these people are going to die. So I had no interest in it. And then they put out this Krypton 101. It was like a little brief introductory episode to the series. And it totally hooked me in because they came up with a story that for a number of reasons uh, roped me in. And so I'm going to be a little spoilery because 
go for it. From if if you want to watch this show anyways and plan to, then maybe you don't want to listen to the spoilers. But if you have no interest in watching this show or you're on the fence, this is what convinced me to actually watch it. So the story is about Superman's grandfather. Okay. And Happy L. <laughs> and what happens is that Adam Strange shows up. Hmm. Adam Strange being the time traveler uh, who travels to Ran by the use of the Zeta Beam in DC Comics lore, but they've used him as a time and space traveler through a number of things in the uh, DC universe. So Adam Strange I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there just for a second because you, you tried to define something for the layperson by using like three way geekier specific references to define the original geeky reference. So points points for that, and I'll almost forgive you for uh, mispronouncing Tatooine on last week's episode. <laughs> All right, so Adam Strange was an archaeologist who was transported to this place called Ran by some Zeta Beam, which was... Now I'm getting even geekier. <laughs> All right, let's just say Adam Strange is a character deeply integrated into the DC universe okay. as a time and space traveler. All right. So Adam Strange shows up on Krypton and tells Superman's grandfather that one of that his grandson is destined to become one of the universe's greatest heroes and that a malevolent force is coming to Krypton to try and destroy Krypton to prevent Superman from ever being born so that he won't become the hero. And then they reveal that the malevolent force is Brainiac. And that combination of sort of deep DC universe uh, characters and stories was enough to hook me into watching this show. So essentially they've taken the uh, concept of the Terminator series and transported it to Krypton. Yeah, I mean, that's the the ideas. But using these characters that are so uh, deeply ingrained in the DNA of the DC universe, like Adam Strange and Brainiac, and you know they've thrown in Superman references way out of time and found a way to do it. Hmm. So that hooked me in. Then I got in and started watching it. And uh, I'll, I'll describe the story generally, and you can tell me if it sounds familiar to you. It is essentially the story of the warring houses and families of Krypton locked in this conflict of political manipulation, betrayal, and there's a big bad force coming to destroy them all unless they can learn to work together to defeat it. Oh, dear. And so... This is sounding very Game of Thrones. It's exactly what they've they've kind of got Game of Thrones in an advanced technological civilization going on. So I I quite enjoyed it. I think hmm. that the story works on that level, separate and apart from the connection to the DC universe. But I would not necessarily be hooked into a new version of that story without these sort of deep connections. And they found a way to make it relevant to the modern DC universe. So I watched it. I quite enjoyed the first two episodes. The cast is relatively good. The effects are pretty cool. It looks great. Hmm. And I mean, it's got a pretty 
strong pedigree in its writing. David Goyer is the uh, okay, yeah. showrunner for this. So he's the writer behind the Nolan Batman trilogy, uh, Blade, Superman movie, Blade, um, Superman v. Batman, unfortunately. but <laughs> They can't all be hits. Yeah. So, I mean, it's got two things going for it, a, a story that potentially works on its own and some enough connections to contemporary comic book universe and Superman lore that uh, I'll keep watching. All right. Well, not terribly drawn in by that, but it's definitely ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of fans, I'm sure. So I'll have to see how that uh, premise holds up over a lo- little bit of a longer run. Yep. This week on Totally Sort Of, Darren and I are trying something totally new, and we're calling it the Tournament of Fools. So what we've done is gone through all the sitcoms that we could think of and chosen the oddballs, the lovable weirdos, the idiots, the fools from all of these sitcoms. And we've randomly slotted them into a bunch of brackets And we're going to go through and pick our favorites and compare notes on those. Hopefully you like it. This is our first installment of probably a two or three week segment. Let us know what you think. And here we go. So first up, we have uh, Woody from Cheers against Mr. Furley from Three's Company. I had no problem picking Woody in this one. How about you? Uh, Nor did I. I think that uh, Don Knotts is a master of physical comedy, but physical comedy is not my favorite. Yep, fair enough. Uh, Woody is just, uh, what a lovable character. Uh, and it's kind of almost funny to see Woody in, you know, compared to the career he's gone on to have. Uh, but that original character from Cheers is just a lot of fun. So I'm 100% with you on Woody there. The next matchup we had is Big Head from Silicon Valley against Murray from Flight of the Concords. Well, I had had to pick Murray for this one. How about you? I went with Big Head. And now I'm guessing I'm probably a bigger Concords fan than you. I think that's true. And I, I will say, though, that I almost went with Murray. Okay. Based solely on the Ginger Balls song. <laughs> But that that wasn't really him. But I was almost willing to go with him just because the Ginger Balls song was so fantastic. Yeah. In a lot of these brackets, what ended up winning for me was depth of character, which in many cases came down to how much screen time had that character had. And Big Head's fun. Uh, he's a he's a great addition and and plot device on the show, Silicon Valley. But I don't feel like I really know much about him. He's just kind of a hapless bystander, albeit a great one. But uh, Murray just has that uh, absolute deer-in-the-headlights idiocy that is so appealing. So, yeah, I vote for Murray. At the end of the day, my choice for Big Head will uh, or can be explained a little bit by the fact that we decided that we would not include Homer Simpson in this list. (laughs) Uh, because it would be unfair to all of the other competitors. And Big Head has that uh, pulling a homer sort of 
arc the uh the episode of the simpsons where the pulling a homer gets defined in the dictionary as to succeed despite incompetence and that's uh that's where i got stuck on big head yeah he's my homer in this competition very nice very nice next up we're going back to the 70s and we have wkrp's les nesman intrepid reporter against reverend jim from taxi Uh, where'd you go with this one uh i had to go with les nesman just everything about that show appeals to me a lot more than uh than taxi i don't know how about you i went with jim um i mean christopher lloyd in that role was just i don't know it was kind of a breakout performance for me yeah i don't know that i'd ever really seen a character like that before him i don't know if anybody had he really was borderline scary which was great and funny but yeah i don't think anybody had quite done something like him on tv before but the ongoing Les Nessman, the walls gag. Yeah. About putting the tape on the floor and having walls, that never got old for me. Yeah. I think the other thing that I, I tended to look for in these characters is um, they needed to have a little bit of an edge. Now, in some of them, it was a nasty edge, or in some of them, it was just a little bit of an unexpected wrinkle in their otherwise one-dimensional character. And uh, Les could be a little bit spiteful and a little bit, little bit mean here and there, and uh, I kind of like that about him. All right, the next up is Joey from Friends, and Randy from My Name Is Earl. So who did you go with in this bracket? I went with Joey. I really loved Randy's character in My Name Is Earl, but uh, it seems to me that perhaps you put more thought into the actual characters and and mine was really it was there something about that character that stuck with me for a specific reason and joey from friends uh, i think i place undue weight on because i had a girlfriend years ago who she loved friends i liked it but i never loved it and i always thought joey's character was annoying and then one time we were watching it and she said no no you have to watch this show as if Joey is the smart one who knows exactly what's going on and everyone else is an idiot. And from that point on, watching that show from that perspective, it changed the entire show for me and it just made it so much funnier. That's and cool. The, <laughs> yeah, so that's why Joey went out for me. That's a cool lens to try and apply to that show. Uh, I also went with Joey um, more, again, I think just I'm more familiar with Friends. I watched My Name is Earl a little bit, but uh, not a whole lot. And uh, yeah, Joey just has that kind of uh, hapless, lovable, dork thing down. So yeah, I'm I'm good with Joey in that, in that bracket. Next up, we have a little bit of a stranger pairing. We have Matthew from News Radio against Gilligan from Gilligan's Island. This one was tough uh, because it kind of broke our rule that uh, we'd initially talked about, about not actually using main characters. Right. Uh, And we, uh, I think when I put the bracket together, this one kind of snuck in and it was a little too late once I'd started getting through it. And so I think I just immediately went Gilligan. How could you pick anybody else? Yeah. I mean, I love Matthew on news radio, but 
uh, Gilligan's Island is so ingrained in my youth and the amount of time I spent watching that show that it was so hard for me to pick anybody else over him. I I had this really random aside about Gilligan's Island. Uh, are you familiar with the story from Family Ties of how Meredith Baxter Burney, who played the mom of Alex Keaton, um, really was resentful of his success and that the show became focused around Alex uh, when the show was meant to be about her as the mother. Are you familiar with that story? A little bit, yeah. So I had this weird recollection, and I don't know, maybe this was a dream. Maybe I've just been thinking about this whole segment too much this week. But that that I had read something or heard an interview or something with, um, I think it was the professor from Gilligan's Island espousing that he should have been or he was meant to be the the star and the central character of the show and then i realized wait a minute how could this be possible the show is called gilligan's island (laughs) (laughs) so so i don't know if this was just like some random dream of mine or whether uh like maybe one of the characters from the show is just out there loopy but uh yeah that's my random aside (laughs) <laughs> i assume you two picked gilligan then i also picked gilligan um yeah he uh he's the reason they were on the island mm-hmm. yeah the next bracket has andy from parks and recreation going up against abed from community yeah i had to go with abed in this case uh he again is that that sort of deep stereotype um you know he's got really great quirks but he's got a little bit of depth to him and uh just fascinating character for me i also went with abed i i liked andy from parks and recreation and i think chris chris pratt did a great job playing him uh but abed the way they built stories around his delusions was you know just it's some of the highlights of community for me so for sure yeah yeah i mean andy is a fun character but uh but yeah not nothing too memorable there okay moving on how about hank from the larry sanders show against kenny from eastbound and down uh i went with hank from the larry sanders show i also went hank i had to go with hank because mostly because i think kenny totally fits what we're doing and the theme of what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but he's just painful to watch sometimes. Like sometimes you see the stuff he's doing and it just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. There is a borderline there. And uh, yeah, I'd agree with you on that. Um, This was a nice throwback. Actually. I hadn't really thought a lot about the Larry Sanders show for quite a while, but uh, that was a good character. Yeah. I miss that show. Okay. Wrapping out uh, the first half of our, picks uh we have carlton from the fresh prince against kenneth from 30 rock and your pick uh, i went with carlton <laughs> i also went with carlton i think we're about uh what uh seven for eight here so far yeah i uh, i i love kenneth's character on 30 rock but again this was just the one little quirk that won out carlton for me that dance yeah uh, that carlton does like it's just you can never forget it once you see him do it yeah and uh it's like one little thing that he did in the show i mean 
there were other things that were entertaining and funny and fit him into that character mold. But that dance, when as soon as I saw his name, I was like, that dance uh, gives him a leg up. For sure. For sure. And he just, you know, had that kind of uh, righteousness of the fool. You know, the, the total loser who had no inkling they were a loser. Uh, that's always a fun type of character. It is. Okay, so that's going to be it for this week, but uh, have a look at the brackets on totallysortof.com, see who you would suggest, and uh, tweet us or uh, email us at hello at totallysortof and let us know your picks. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll get back to this next week. Sounds good. That brings us to our take-home top three. Last week, I gave you the following topic to come up with your top three sequels reboots or prequels that were as good as or better or held up to the promise of the original yeah this is a cool uh cool little concept a little bit open-ended i have a couple of things i had to throw out right away just because we've talked about them a lot recently one would be westworld uh, which i loved but uh, we've talked about it a few times so i'm just leaving that out of the running another one would be Battlestar Galactica would probably easily win as a best reboot for me but we've talked about it so I wanted to cover some new territory would I be spoiling your list if I also said maybe uh, Empire Strikes Back might be too strong a candidate yeah you know it was it was interesting to look at this one because there really were especially in geeky fandom, a lot of strong, strong contenders. There are actually a lot of uh, superhero flicks and sci-fi flicks where the sequels have been better than the originals. So I I tried to specifically stay away from obvious ones. Another uh, big pick would be Aliens over Alien. Absolutely. So taking your challenge to heart, I actually picked one sequel, one reboot, and one remake reboot remake i don't know kind of the same thing i stuck away from prequels because generally speaking i don't care for them uh there's something conceptually about them that just generally doesn't work for me so um my first one is a sequel and it is from 1992 uh tim burton's batman returns all right i liked the michael keaton batman at the time that was the best batman we'd seen and it had a lot of good things about it but uh, Batman Returns was Tim Burton at his best, and I think Tim Burton's Batman at its best. Tim Burton's Batman Returns did something that a lot of superhero movies have struggled to do, which is to balance more than one bad guy. And they kind of went with a, a three-way relationship where they have a good guy, a really bad guy, and a sort of bad cat woman. So I I just really love Michelle Pfeiffer. I love the weirdly grotesque Danny DeVito penguin. And uh, there's just so much coolness in this movie. Nice. So moving on from a sequel to a remake, I went, and it's funny you brought up Steven Spielberg earlier because I'm going with Steven Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds. All right. So this is one that I know a lot of people really have a hate on for Tom Cruise. But I don't mind him in a lot of movies, and nobody can do a family drama like Steven Spielberg. And I, I, there's so many different things I like about this one. 
Um, I like that it kind of has those apocalyptic tones of the road or walking dead, but all done with the kind of realism and heart and empathy that Steven Spielberg brings to a movie. And it also just, I think it's so cool that Spielberg has done really a trilogy uh, thematically of alien movies, starting with Close Encounters, moving on to E.T., and then rounding it out with War of the Worlds. I just, and, and it's also one of those movies that um, I can, if I'm flipping around and I come across it, I will always stop on uh, this version of War of the Worlds. Now I kind of want to see those as a trilogy. Yeah, I've never, I've never kind of purposely gone through and, and watched them as such, but there are three movies about aliens in very different kinds of situations. So I re- remember that War of the Worlds is also like the, the drama and tension they built in the family was like just palpable, like almost horror to watch in in the way it affected you. Yeah, Spielberg does families so well. And I mean, you can look at anything from, from Jaws to, to Close Encounters. He just gets family dynamics really, really accurately and really emotionally. And, you know, to take the kind of crappy dynamic of a single dad struggling to, you know, he's probably a pretty poor dad, a pretty poor part-time dad, and now he's their only world uh, as the world's getting destroyed, and it's uh, it's pretty heart-wrenching stuff at times. I'll go back briefly to the Tom Cruise point you made. All was forgiven with me after uh, A Better Tomorrow. Is that what it's called? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, the Edge of Tomorrow? I always think of it as uh, the original name, Live, Die, Repeat. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think of it as like sci-fi Groundhog Day. Yeah. I could never remember either of the release names, but I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah, always forgiven with me after that movie. Yeah, that was a that was a fun flick. Okay. Number three? Number three is going to be the 2010 BBC reimagining of Sherlock. And is it still running? Um, Well, it runs so sporadically, I'm going to say yes, because they'll probably do another one at some point. <laughs> The fact that it disappears for two years is not an indication it will never come back. Exactly. It's had more off time than than on. I think the first season or series, as they called them in Britain, was four episodes. So that was intentional. That's just how they roll. And that's cool. Yeah, this one got my vote because it was such a reimagining and it worked so well. I mean, even if you take away the fact that this kind of made Benedict Cumberbatch uh, a star... He's such an amazing character in this. He's such a total ass. And they give Dr. Watson so much heart and so much to do. They play off each other so well. I love that. And I just love how they took what seemed like such a, a specifically Victorian concept and totally make it work in the modern world. Nice. Uh, while we're on the subject of Sherlock Holmes, what is your opinion of the Robert Downey Jr. big screen version? Um, ambivalent. I watched part of one of them on Netflix and didn't make it through. I don't have anything against it, but it holds no draw for me. How about you? I like them as an action-adventure movie, but not so much as a Sherlock Holmes vehicle. Yeah. For me, the, uh, the absolute sort of... Um, stereotypical or archetypal uh, Sherlock Holmes was the 1984 
BBC version, which actually ran for almost 10 years and uh, starred Jeremy Brett as uh, Sherlock Holmes. I loved that series and I really had no, hadn't been into Sherlock Holmes until that series, but it had good production values, good stories, good acting, but it was such a period piece that I, I never would have imagined you could set Sherlock Holmes in the modern day and, and make it work. And the other piece that I love about Sherlock is the Moriarty character, I think really plays that scary anarchist, that role of someone who really doesn't care what happens could do just about anything if they're smart enough. And that's a pretty scary concept. Now, while the BBC Sherlock Holmes has been running, there was an American version that was not a version of Sherlock, but was another attempt to sort of recreate Sherlock Holmes in the modern time? I think it's pretty much a, an Americanization of Sherlock. Is it? Yeah. Um, See? I, I've, I, I haven't watched more than a couple of minutes of it. I couldn't tell you anything about it beyond that. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it either. I wondered if you had. Could still well be running for all I know. It's done okay for itself. It's had numerous seasons, but uh, I think it's called Elementary. And, yes, uh, that's the one I'm thinking about. We're probably enraging some fans out there who who love it, but <laughs> haven't given it the time of day. Uh, it just it's one of those things that like I just generally um, an Americanization of a BBC series is a pretty steep handicap for me to overcome. Yeah, haven't tried so it. Now with this you're one. gonna out, now you're outraging fans of the American version of The Office. Probably that's entirely possible, and I'm okay with that. Okay, well, this was a great assignment. I think we're going to have to start to get more specific on these challenges, though, my friend. You think so? I think we're we're just leaving them a little too open. So I'm going to get a little bit more specific for you. Not not Do it. not painfully so. But for next week, I want you to uh, go into comic books and or maybe graphic novels would be a better term in this case because I want you to pick three comics or graphic novels that you would use if you were trying to introduce somebody to comics or to convince somebody that comics are about more than just superheroes. Ooh, yeah. that uh, should be relatively easy because I'm actually in that process with a colleague at work right now. Well, there you go. You can you can bring a life lesson in for us or, or just, uh, just three of your favorite comics that you would use to introduce people to uh, the awesomeness of comics as a storytelling medium gateway comics if you will that's a good word for it gateway comics i like it okay thanks for listening that's about all we've got time for this week you can catch us every wednesday at totally sort or in the podbean app you can find us on itunes google play store and hopefully sometime soon on spotify we'd love to hear from you so leave a comment on our website hit us up on twitter or instagram at totally sort of or email us at hello at totallysortof.com, or even better, leave a rating for us or a review in the iTunes store or in the Google store. Our intro song is Punk and is used by kind permission from the artist Kabana Black. You can find links to him and everything else we've talked about on the show notes. Until next time, I'm Darren Hogan. And I'm Chris McInnes. And you have been listening to the Totally Sort of Podcast. Talk to you later, buddy. You bet, pal.